Good evening, everybody. Uh, welcome to the next installment of Christianity Proper, The Deception of More. We're getting back to this. I'm going to go ahead and say this right out of the gate. This is going to be a fairly informal episode, um, if I can say it that way. Uh, this one is really looking to be a go-between. We've already had two installments of The Deception of More. We're building up towards uh, more of the, the root issues. So just by way of reminder, uh, if you've been keeping up with this or if you haven't been keeping up with this but you're tuning in tonight or tuning in later on, our first two installments on The De Deception of More, first and foremost, kind of explain why we wanted to do this series. But it really gets to the biblical reasons why we don't need more uh, as in the more that typically gets promoted within the church and within certain movements, specifically more that is actually outside of scripture, uh, more that is unbiblical, that is not directly connected to scripture. That's the kind of more that we want to stay away from. So our first installment, we talked about the fact that in Christ Jesus, we've been given all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So if we've, if we've already been given all spiritual blessings, we don't need more. We also talked about the fact that we, that was Ephesians 1. We talked about uh, every believer has the anointing. We looked at 1 John chapter 2. So we don't need uh, another anointing. We don't need a fresh anointing or, or anything of that nature. 1 John chapter 2. But mainly we looked at the fact that as we talk about so, so often on this podcast and in our ministry, 2 Timothy chapter 3 says that all scripture is God-breathed and it's profitable for, for teaching, for correction, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness. But it says that, that the man of God may be complete, lacking nothing, um, <clears throat> that we can be fully equipped for every good work. So if scripture fully equips every believer for every good work, we don't need more. It really is just that simple. But we're doing this series, um, we're doing these installments together to really just drive it home. And, and really, in some cases, I I actually want to, to beat a dead horse uh, just so we can really, really be clear that we don't need more. Uh, when we're talking about the, well, there's more that God has for you or there's more that you can experience or uh, there's more that's waiting on you. You just have to be open to receive it. Uh, there's a lot of religious language that gets thrown out there, and it sounds really good. But if we as believers can actually come to believe and understand that we've already been given everything in Christ Jesus, and God's word is all that we need to be fully equipped for every good work, that God has already given us all things pertaining to life and godliness, then we won't fall for the lie. We won't fall for the deception of more. So the second episode, um, we literally just went through almost every book of the New Testament and we talked about how there is a more that is good. There is a more that is encouraged, namely more of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, more of the knowledge of the faith. Uh, we should seek to grow more in our knowledge and our understanding and our wisdom of Jesus Christ and of the faith. That is something that we can always pursue more of. 
And where do we go to pursue more of that? More of the knowledge and the wisdom of Christ of the faith, we go to the word. Why? Because the word is able to equip us for every good work, right? So it really is simple. Uh, our aim is simple. Uh, and what we're going to do after this installment is we're going to start unpacking some specifics. I've actually, I finally took the time to just map it out. Uh, now, this is not going to be in order. I'm not saying that it's going to be in this order. Um, but at the very least, this is a go-between episode, and I'll explain that a little bit more uh, in just a moment. But after this episode, what we're going to look at over the next, I'm going to say at least three weeks. I'm, I'm going to try to squeeze all these in within three weeks. But we're going to have an episode specifically on tongues, where we talk about the gift of tongues in general, kind of an overarching um, deception of more, the gift of tongues. We're going to have one on hearing from God. That's something that is just really, it's all, again, it's always been there, but it seems to be ramping up even more so now. Well, you need to learn how to hear from God. If you're a Christian, you need to learn how to hear from God. And that's always connected with just like literally sitting still and like listening. Like, oh, God's speaking to me. Oh, I feel like God's moving in my heart a little bit, Right. Uh, I want us to look at um, what it really is biblically, scripturally, uh, for us as modern day believers to hear from God. Um, so we'll have the deception more hearing from God. And then, like I said, we're going to have tongues like in general, but we're going to have what is often referred to as baptism of the Holy Spirit or baptism of fire. Uh, we're going to look at that. We're going to look at the purpose of the spiritual gifts. Because a lot of this deception of more is directly connected to spiritual gifts and the, the pouring out of the spirit, if you will. So we're going to look at what the purpose of the gifts actually are and how we're supposed to use them in general. Um, and then ultimately, this is all going to lead up to a sermon breakdown. I've never actually done a sermon breakdown uh, on the podcast or on Facebook before. And this is a sermon breakdown of a local pastor. Um and this is something that I'm taking very seriously. I'm not, I'm not looking to throw stones. I'm not aiming to try to destroy somebody's ministry or whatever else. Um, but I am looking to break down a sermon from a local pastor that is not biblical and that is dangerous and that is leading people astray. Um, I do plan on, on reaching out to this pastor, trying to, to meet with him, at least maybe having a phone conversation with him. Uh, just to speak with him in person. Um, and I'm, I'm praying that if, if we do get to speak, that it goes well. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. But as it stands right now, I am planning on doing that sermon breakdown because this particular sermon that we're going to be going through is, is kind of the, the straw that broke the camel's back, if you will. It really was this sermon that drove me to the place where I said, okay, I've, I've got to actually speak towards this directly. Uh, it's got to be done, and I know y'all. Anybody who does listen to the podcast, this is now the third, third time uh, in an installment that you've heard me say that, and you might be getting tired of me saying it already without me actually diving into the sermon. But please be patient and please be praying uh, for that. Again, this is not this is not an intention to try to destroy a ministry or to hurt a church or to hurt a brother or sister in Christ. But this is simply an effort to get the body of Christ to realize we can't just accept anything and everything that calls itself Christian. We do have to practice discernment and especially men who are standing in pulpits claiming to preach the word of God. 
If we're not preaching the word of God, we've got to be held accountable. And again, as you listen to me on this podcast or on the live feed, um, if you listen to me in person, uh, if you ever come to Mindy's Baptist Church and listen to me, hold me accountable to the word of God. Test what I say up against the scriptures, please. Don't just take my word for it. Go to the word of God, see what God has spoken, and let's all grow in the faith together. So now, this episode, how is this a go-between? This really is going to be laid back. I'm not going to get too in detail. In fact, this episode is really going to, it's probably going to come across as like bullet points. And I'm honestly going to ask some questions that I'm not necessarily going to answer on this installment. I'm just going to ask them, try to get you thinking. And again, that's going to lead into the later installments. So I wanted to do this go-between to kind of continue our, uh, continue us having our thinking caps on and, and to continue building this, trying to think biblically and thinking through stuff in a, in a scriptural way. And um, there's, there's not going to be as long of a gap in between this installment and the next one. So again, just trying to build momentum and kind of get that steam back going because last week, it was Holy Week. Um, Easter Sunday was coming up. And so I, I didn't want to put one of these out there and, 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 and potentially take away from, from what was going on. I know in Baxley and even in Glenville and other places, they were having different services each night at different churches and um, we were building up for Easter. And so I wanted everybody to enjoy that. And again, I, not that there's lots of people who watch these things, but again, I didn't want there to any, didn't want there to be any potential uh, to take away from Holy Week or, or people preparing their hearts and minds for, uh, for Easter. So this is simply a go between the deception of more by the way, I will say this real quick, very briefly. If you, if you do not, if you haven't subscribed or you do not follow our podcast, we are on all of the podcast platforms: Apple, Spotify. Uh, our our host website is Podbean. You can download the Podbean app, um, Google Podcast. Uh, if you if you would consider it, uh, please do follow us. That does help us a lot. Let's us know exactly how many people we have trying to keep up with us and, and, and tuning in. And uh, it gives us a way that we can, if we ever do send out like an email or whatever else, you can be attached to that. And we can uh, let you know what we have coming up, things like that. And it would just be encouraging to know that we have some more people coming on board uh, and joining Christianity proper, proper doctrine, proper life. So the go-between. Here's just some simple things, uh, some bullet points that we're not going to do lengthy installments on all of these points, but just some food for thought, stuff to be thinking about when we think about the deception of more. You say, Caleb, I hear you talk about it. I've even listened to one or two of the other installments, but I'm still not really tracking like what is the deception of more? What what, what should we look out for? Um, what should we listen for? How can we know what's going on there? So some phrases that you may have heard uh, in the church that you attend or from other churches or from uh, people who do have a big social media presence or, or anything like that. Um, but sometimes you're, you'll hear people say, hey, join us next Sunday. We're really expecting a great move of the spirit or we're expecting, you know, the presence of God is going to be here and the presence of God is, is going to be very strong here. And you'll hear language like that <clears throat> or you're, you will hear something. Uh, this seems to me to be more popular or prominent within the younger generation. So like my age group, 32 and under. Um, but you'll hear things like, you know, if, if, if you want to meet the authentic Jesus, or if you want to know what authentic Christianity 
is all about, then come to our church, check our church out. We're, we're, we're pursuing the authentic Jesus. We want to give the world an authentic representation of the faith. And you'll hear the word authentic thrown out there a lot as if, as if biblical Christianity isn't authentic. Um, but I'm getting ahead of myself even with that comment. <clears throat> but you'll hear things like the, the presence of God. We're expecting the spirit to move in this service. We're expecting the presence of God to be here. We're, uh, we just, we want people to, to experience the heart of God. Uh, if, if you come to this special service that we've got, then, then, then we feel confident that you will, you will see the heart of God and, and you'll be brought near to the heart of God. And again, it's very, it's very religious language. Uh, and in some cases it's vaguely, vaguely biblical language. But sadly, it seems that a lot of a lot of churches that use this language of, you know, we expect the spirit to move or we expect the presence of God to be strong in this house. Um, they do end up leaning more towards the line of it's a deception. It's the deception of more because they end up talking about things that aren't biblical. Uh, they're not grounded or rooted in scripture. Now, let me unpack that briefly. They may start out with a biblical concept, but the conclusion that they that they uh, gain from that, so they might start out biblically, but then the conclusion that they come to is not biblical. And to, to end this episode, I'm going to give some examples of that, but, but do keep that in mind. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that when you go to these places or you listen to these preachers, that it's like they're not even using the Bible, that they're not even reading scripture references or anything like that. They are. And so they'll say, well, the presence of God will be here. We're expecting a mighty move of the spirit of God. And we're looking for the authentic Jesus, yada, yada, yada. And they start with a biblical point or they start with a scriptural reference at the very least. They, you know, they're, they're tipping the cap to biblical preaching, but it's not really biblical because again, the conclusions that they come to and the things that they're actually teaching aren't biblical and and what's <clears throat> what's so sad and and ironic really coming back to this authentic Jesus it it's heartbreaking and I, I'm not saying that to be dramatic I'm being sincere for me personally when I when I see stuff like this when I hear stuff like this and, and I hear people talk about the authentic Jesus or authentic Christianity and then they in they support things like, speaking things into existence or naming it and claiming it or um you know there's 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 life and death in the tongue which that's again that's like a biblical verse there's the power of life and death within the tongue but they take that to support the idea that if you speak it it'll come to pass so if you speak something negative it'll come to pass but if you speak something positive then that'll come to pass so uh and then they 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 get almost into this new age mystic type of realm that's not it's not biblical it's not christianity it's false teaching but what's most troubling and what's most heartbreaking is you'll hear people say the authentic jesus authentic christianity and it seems that the more authentic that they get the further away from scripture they get that's heartbreaking because if if, if we literally think about the word authentic and what that means the most authentic version or representation of Jesus Christ that you could possibly get and the most authentic version of Christianity and the faith that you could possibly get is just going to the Word. 
the word as our only infallible source of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, the ministry of Jesus Christ, the teachings of Jesus Christ. The scripture is our only infallible source of the faith. It's our only infallible rule of faith and obedience. And so if we really want the authentic Christ, then we would be more biblical. And what we would desire and what we would crave is expositional preaching where the pastor gets up and actually teaches the scripture, goes through the text and preaches the word. But what we typically get are these charismatic speakers. And with I'm not in that context, I don't mean charismatic denomination. I mean charismatic in the fact that they're very engaging speakers. They're very entertaining speakers. They're very talented. They're very charismatic. And they give personal like life experience and they give worldly wisdom like, oh, that reminds me of this story. Let me tell you this story. Let me tell you this. And oh, well, that was God in that moment. And But they're not actually teaching scripture. Okay. So whenever you hear things like, presence of God, the Holy Spirit fell or the Holy Spirit moved or the authentic Jesus. I'm not saying always disregard those things, but we should say, well, what do you mean by presence of God? Like, how do you, how do you know it was the presence of God? What do you mean? Um, what do you mean that the Holy Spirit was moving? How do you know it was the Holy Spirit? How do you know it wasn't just emotion? And so at this point, some people would say, Caleb, how dare you even question that? If somebody says they feel like the Holy Spirit is moving, how dare you even question it? And my response to that was, would be, how, how dare we not question it when Scripture clearly says to test the spirits to see whether or not they're of God? How dare we not test it? If we don't test it, we're actually going against Scripture. If we just blindly accept all things that gets called Christianity and gets called the Spirit, then we'll fall for anything. We have to be grounded and rooted in something, and that something has to be the Word of God. Okay? So those are those are some things to look for. And again, is there just some simple questions to ask? Is there any biblical support for that? So, for example, do we do we have any scriptural support that the apostles and the early church fathers that they went around saying things like hey, we got a service coming up and we're expecting the presence of God to be there real strong. Hey, we got a service coming up and we're expecting the spirit to move. You don't want to miss this. The spirit's going to be, oh man, the spirit's going to move in a powerful way. We're going to call down the spirit at this service. Any biblical support for that? Any biblical examples of that? Um, And again, with the authentic thing, you can't get more authentic than scripture and what we're given from the infallible word of God. And then the heart of God, like, oh, we just want you to experience the heart of God. I didn't really say much about that one, but again, do we have any biblical support for that? Like, oh, I just, where God says repeatedly, I want people to know my heart. I want to reveal my heart to people. Like, I get where that comes from, for God so loved the world and gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And we say that's the heart of God. God desires to save sinners. Christ came to save sinners of whom I, Paul, I'm quoting here, of whom I, Paul, am the, the chief or the foremost, right? And so I, I, I do understand where the phrase comes from. Like, oh, we want people to see the heart of God. Like we want people to see the love of God that, that he has for sinners, that all who repent and believe will be saved. Like I get that, but 
the people that we hear saying that a lot, like we want to show the heart of God or we want people to see the heart of God, it all comes down to what are they actually preaching? What are they actually teaching? Is it the word of God? Or are they just using a lot of vague religious speak and semi-biblical terms? And then from that, from their semi-biblical terms and their vague religious talk, are they kind of just teaching a different version of Christianity that's not really biblical? And are they teaching things that are not sound doctrine? Those are the questions that we've got to be asking. Um, again, specifically, not diving into this tonight, but specifically, a lot of this deception of more is connected to uh, also uh, tongues, baptism of the Spirit, like a second baptism, having this experience where you receive the Spirit, you speak in tongues, and then it's you know then it, you've got proof you got the Spirit, right? So again, you could you could ask the question: Is there is there solid biblical support for that line of thinking? And some people may point you to Acts 19 uh, or even Acts 2. Um, but, but Acts 19, I, I've heard that one a good bit. And uh, we'll, we'll dive into those later when we do the whole, the episode that's dedicated to tongues. But again, is, is that a biblical concept? Did the apostles or the disciples, did they consistently teach in any of their teachings, in any of the epistles that were written to the churches? Do we see anything about Make sure you've received the Spirit and you've spoken in tongues. Make sure that you've gotten that second baptism. Or instead, do we see in Ephesians 4 where Paul says there's uh, one Lord, one Spirit, one baptism, one Father, uh, one you know, one body of Christ, one, 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 right? Uh, what do we actually see from Scripture? So just a question there, but also with tongues, what I will say in this episode is if you go to 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul says clearly, uh, and this is this is where I'm going to be coming from when we do the standalone episode, uh, I will go ahead and say that, but Paul says a couple of things very plainly in 1 Corinthians. Tongues is a sign for non-believers. Tongues is a sign for non-believers, um, and it's prophecy fulfilled. Um we know that, that the day of Pentecost, the coming of the, the Holy Spirit was prophesied in the Old Testament. And then Jesus tells the disciples to, to go and, and to not spread out, to not try to start the ministry. And I'm paraphrasing, but to actually start the ministry, but to go and, and wait until the Spirit comes. And then we have the day of Pentecost, right? So it's prophecy fulfilled. It's a sign uh, to unbelievers and it's a sign of judgment to Israel. And Paul actually says, like, I don't want you to be unwise about these things. I want you to understand, right? Um, and so uh, just taking those basic facts, tongues is a sign for non-believers. It's not a sign for believers. It's a sign of judgment to non-believing Israel. So unbeliever, sign to unbelievers and specifically unbelieving Israel. Um, and it's prophecy fulfilled meaning that we, we had an idea of what was going to happen on the day of Pentecost. Uh, we had an idea of what was going to happen when the Spirit fell or the Spirit really moved uh, on the day of Pentecost. And we knew that God said, by people of a foreign tongue or a strange tongue, I will speak to you and, and you, you're still not going to believe it. It's a sign of judgment. So we need to be smart. We need to be wise. We need to be learned. 
when it comes to these things. We don't need to be unwise. We don't need to be foolish. And so just some food for thought there. And in all of the New Testament, we've got only three different books where tongues is mentioned. I think it's mentioned a couple of times in Mark. Uh, it's mentioned a few times in Acts, Acts 2, Acts 10, Acts 19, and then Corinthians. But do keep in mind with Corinthians, the entire book of 1 Corinthians is basically a reprimand. Uh, it, it, there's a lot of correction and a lot of setting the record straight in the book of Corinthians. Yes, the church at Corinth was very gifted in the spiritual gifts, but they were also extremely immature. They were also utilizing the spiritual gifts and practicing the spiritual gifts in a very, very wrong, corrupt way. Uh, and at almost every chapter that you turn to, Paul's like, okay, this is wrong. This is how this is how I want to correct this. This is wrong. I want to draw your attention to the right way to do these things. This is wrong. I want to draw your attention to the truth. And now that you know the truth, you can correct these things. Um, so just some food for thought uh, there. And also, did anyone, even even in Corinthians and even in the book of Acts, was was uh, praying praying in a tongue or praying in a heavenly language or anything like that? Do we see do we see uh, consistent biblical support um, from the scriptures that this is something that should be pursued, that should be taught? And again, we will get into that later. I'm not trying to skirt the issue, but again, this episode is just a stepping stone, and we are going to have an entire installment that's just dedicated to the topic of of tongues. Uh, let me take a moment to say thank you for all those who are tuning in live. Um, Mr. Charles Hart, good to hear from you. Um, thank you for the comment. I really appreciate that and appreciate all you guys tuning in. So now, believe it or not, we're already at the end of this episode. I'm going to close out with a few examples here. I titled this Deception of More Beyond the Scripture, Going Beyond the Scripture. I will be honest. A few of the examples that I have lean more towards the charismatic side of things. But again, I'm not here to pick on the charismatic side of things. I'm not here to pick on the Methodist or the Baptist or, or what. I'm not here to pick on denominations or try to cast on at denominations. I'm here for all believers, for all of us to come to the word of God and see what God has spoken, that we would actually, that we would actually have a greater allegiance and a greater confidence in the word of God than we have in our denomination because that's the way it should be anyway. Denominations, it's not like they're inherently evil or anything, but at the end of the day, denominations definitely aren't inherently biblical. Not at all, not in the least bit, okay? So I'm actually encouraging us, all of us, to come away from whatever, whatever denomination we grew up in or, or whichever one we're affiliated with now to even kind of come away from that and say, okay, I'm not thinking about this like a Baptist. I'm not thinking about this like a Church of God person or a Methodist or a Church of Christ person or anything like that. I'm a Christian. I want to know what God has given us in his word. So to give a couple of examples uh, that aren't necessarily of the charismatic uh, bent, I dress code to church and this is this is one that's fading so this is an easy one to pick on uh because it's not really it's not nearly as popular as it was even when i was younger growing up but you you'll still meet people that they're really big on women wearing dresses to church men wearing a suit and tie to church and there's nothing wrong with that like if that's if that's your conviction i'll go ahead and say this if that's your conviction do it like women wear your dresses to church men 
wear your suit and tie to church. Cool, nothing wrong with it. But every now and then, I'll still hear somebody say, well, we the Bible supports that because the Bible says to give of your best to the master or to give of your best to the Lord. So when I show up to worship, I need to give my best and that includes me wearing my nicest clothes. Well, that is going beyond the scriptures because, <coughs> excuse me, because there's nothing... There's nothing in the scripture that just directly says like, hey, when you go to worship, wear your nicest clothes. Uh, And furthermore, just to be really simplistic about it, like what would the dress code have been in biblical times where everybody pretty well wore the same thing, right? Um, So that's just a really, really simplistic uh, example of what I'm talking about here. When we say going beyond the scriptures, first and foremost, Paul told the the church at Corinth, that you don't need to go beyond the scriptures. And that's the, the deception of more. What is more, the, the bad type of more, it's going beyond the scriptures uh, and teaching things that aren't actually in the scripture. This is just a very simplistic, very simplistic example. Okay, the Bible says to give of our best to the master, or give our best to the Lord. Therefore, I think that means we need to wear our best clothes to worship. Hmm. No, you, if that's the if that's where you're drawing the line on the sand, if that's where you're planting your flag, you've gone beyond the scriptures because that's not really that's not really the connection there. Okay, so that's a really simplistic one. I'll even say this, and this one might make you want to throw some stones at me or, or whatever else. But uh, people who say the Bible clearly teaches that no one should ever touch a drop of alcohol, you're going beyond the scriptures. Now, hear me out. If you want to say Well, based upon a few different passages of scripture, I think that the best conclusion for us to come to is it's most wise to never dabble in alcohol. Okay, cool. Say that. But to teach that scripture clearly teaches us that no Christian should ever touch a drop of alcohol, you're going beyond the scriptures and you're actually ignoring the fact Jesus turned water into wine. It was wine. Um that there's a couple of places in scripture where it talks about the heavenly feast that we're going to have when we're with God in heaven and he brings out the choicest of wines. Um, Paul tells Timothy a little wine for your belly and so there's like medicinal stuff in there. So um, yeah, anybody who says the Bible clearly teaches no true Christian will ever have a drop of alcohol, they have gone beyond the scriptures and that's not good either. We don't support that. We don't we don't support the preaching and teaching of things uh, that go beyond what the scriptures actually teach. Okay, so there, there's two rather simplistic examples um, of going beyond the scripture. Does the scripture say something about alcohol? Yes. Does scripture say, do not be drunk with wine, wherein is, ex- wherein is excess? Yes. Does the Bible say, never have a drop of alcohol? No. Okay. Does the Bible say something about dress, how we dress? Yes. Does the Bible say that we should be dressed modestly, that we should be dressed in respectable apparel? Yes. Does the Bible say that it's right and proper for men to wear a suit and tie to church and women to wear dresses to church? No. No, it doesn't. So we've gone beyond the scripture. So now let's get to a few more serious ones. Those were simplistic. Let's get to some more serious ones. Again, with tongues. Does scripture say something about tongues? 
Absolutely, beyond a shadow of a doubt, the Bible talks about the spiritual gift of tongues. In scripture, the gift of tongues, is it a literal language? And this is where you'll get people that go different ways with this. But scripturally speaking, I'm not a Greek scholar, but if you look at the Greek, is the gift of tongues always a literal language? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Is tongues, biblically speaking, in the Christian realm, strictly of the faith, is the gift of tongues, the miracles, uh, the miracle of tongues, is it ever a heavenly language that only you and God can understand? No, it's not. It's not. Romans 8 is a verse that, uh, or Romans 8 is a section that sometimes gets brought up. And so I'll read these verses. Romans 8, uh, <clears throat> starting in verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. So the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us. So the Spirit himself makes the intercession. <clears throat> the Spirit is interceding. So the Spirit is the one doing the praying. And then it says this, with groanings which cannot be uttered. We can't utter them. So our mouth isn't moving. We're not uttering anything. The Spirit is interceding on our behalf. Um, and in a in many ways, and it is bending this verse at the very least, it's twisting this verse. You'll hear people say, well, that proves it right there. Some, the Spirit will pray through us and the Spirit prays in a heavenly language and the Spirit is saying things that we can't understand. Well, that's not what the verse says. The verse says, when we don't know what to pray for as we ought, the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered because we don't know what to pray for as we are, and we can't utter these things, the Spirit is interceding on our behalf. So the Spirit is the one praying, not us. Right? So a plain reading of the text shows that it's the Spirit praying. The Spirit is interceding for us. We don't know what to pray for as we are, and the Spirit is interceding with things that can't be uttered. So we're not muttering or uttering anything. We don't have any utterances because these things can't be uttered can't can't be spoken right uh and then first corinthians 14 briefly paul does actually mention um <clears throat> excuse me first corinthians 14 um chapter 14 verse 13 therefore let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret for if i pray in a tongue so there's a if i pray in a tongue my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Now that's important because Paul makes an argument over and over again that all of the spiritual gifts are for the edification of the body of Christ, the edification of the body of Christ. And he's making a point here. If you pray in the spirit and you don't understand it, it's unfruitful. So it's not, you're not doing anything. It's not beneficial in any way, shape or form. You're unfruitful. That's not it's not the goal of prayer. It's not the goal of spiritual gifts to be unfruitful. Like that's a negative thing. It's not a good thing. It's a negative thing. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the spirit and I will sing with understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the spirit, <clears throat> how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks since he does not understand what you say? For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. 
I thank God that I speak with tongues more than you all, yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. And what's interesting there is a lot of times when you have these services where people are getting baptized in the spirit or baptized with fire or whatever, they're all speaking in tongues. And what a, in church, in church, I'd rather speak five words that were intelligible and that were profitable rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. But here again, here's the kicker for all this. When Paul says tongue in 1 Corinthians, he's talking about real, actual languages. Real, actual languages. But here again, to keep it simple for this episode, does the Bible talk about tongues? Yes. Are tongues literal languages in scripture? Yes. Are tongues ever a spiritual language that's meant for believers to pray in? No. No. Okay, so prayer. Does the Bible say a lot about prayer? Yes. Is prayer our communication with God? Yes. Does God give us a secret language that we can pray to him in? No. You never see that in scripture. So kind of the same thing, but we started at a different starting point. Furthermore, at this point, I'll simply say this. I've heard different people say, well, when you pray in tongues, it's a heavenly language that's just between you and God and Satan or his demons can't like intercept what you're saying and they can't hear what you're saying because it's a heavenly language or it's an angelic language. Well, two things, we can go both of those ways. If it's a heavenly language, Lucifer started out in heaven. He knows the heavenly languages and, and we wouldn't have anything in scripture that tells us that Satan was banned from speaking the heavenly language anymore, or understanding the heavenly language anymore. Like there wouldn't be any scriptural support for that. You go the other way with it and you say, well, it's an angelic language. Well, Lucifer is definitely a, an angel. He's a fallen angel, but he's still an angel. So he would understand that. He would, he would be able to understand what you were praying. So it defeats the whole purpose. And here's why it defeats the whole purpose. Because there's nothing in scripture that talks about our prayer language being this secret heavenly, like angelic language. It's not. It's not in scripture. It's not there. And that's that's why it ultimately ends up collapsing on itself. And it, it just doesn't make, even just in a simplistic way, you say, well, wait, just ask, again, ask the question. Well, now, wait a minute. If it's a heavenly language, L Lucifer's from heaven. He's a fallen angel, but he's from heaven. If it's an angelic language, He's an angel. He's a fallen angel, but he's an angel. So we're actually speaking his language at that point. And then just one more. <clears throat> when angels actually spoke with people on earth, like when they gave the message from God, they spoke in a language that the person could understand. They didn't speak in some secret, mystical, heavenly, angelic language. They just spoke so the person could understand it. There's some more food for thought there. Okay, <clears throat> Does God ever, in scripture, does God speak to his people through <clears throat> um, through visions, through uh, dreams, and with an audible voice? Couldn't read my own writing there for a second. Does God speak to his people in an audible voice, through visions, and through dreams? Mm, yes. In the Old Testament and the New Testament? Yeah. Are we told from scripture that that is God's uh, normative way or God's regular way of communicating 
with his people now. That visions, dreams, audible voice, all of that, that it would continue through all of time and that that's how we should still expect God to speak today. No, in fact, we would make the argument that the Bible is clear. He definitely doesn't speak that in, speak that way anymore. And if you say, well, really, how's the Bible so clear on that? You've heard me quote this verse a lot before, but Hebrews chapter one, verse one says, God, <clears throat> who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us, past tense, he has spoken to us through uh, the son whom he has appointed heir of all things through whom also through whom also he made the worlds who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he hit, when he had himself purged our sins he sat down at the right hand of the majesty <clears throat> on high so god who at various times in times past various times in various ways in time past spoke to the fathers by the prophets. So think about the prophets, dreams, visions, audible voice of God. He has in these last days, so that's how he used to speak to his people. In these last days, he has spoken, past tense, it's already been, he has spoken through his son, whom he has appointed the heir of all things. Okay. Then from there, <clears throat> you could also look at First Peter, uh, Second Peter chapter one, where Peter refers to the Mount of Transfiguration where they literally saw a glimpse <clears throat> of the unveiled glory of the sun. And Peter says, we have a more sure word of prophecy. And he's speaking of the, the scriptures. So he's saying, hey, <clears throat> I was there on the mountain, got a glimpse of the unveiled glory of Jesus Christ. But here's what I'm telling you. The scripture is a more sure word of prophecy. The scriptures are where you need to go to to learn of Jesus, to learn of Christ, to learn of the faith. Okay? Does the scripture speak of baptism? Of course. Uh, do we hear John the Baptist mention that there will be a baptism with the Spirit and with fire? Yes, of course. Do we ever hear of a second baptism? A second baptism that all believers need. No, it's not there. Again, I would refer to Ephesians 4. There's one Lord, one Spirit, one faith, one baptism, one Father and Lord of all. Um, but again, some would use Acts 19. Now in, in Acts 19, there's a few disciples that are disciples of John. And that's how they refer to them, disciples of John. And Paul asked them, have you received the Holy Spirit? And their response is literally, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. So these, these disciples of John are very confused. And to put it loosely, you could say, maybe they didn't really get the whole message that John was preaching. They got the repentance part. They were baptized. They, they considered themselves disciples of John. But what was the key thing that John said? Hey, it ain't about me. It's about the one coming after me. And I'm not even worthy to, to put his sandals on his feet. It's about him. You need to follow him. And here these disciples are, Paul says, have you received the Holy Spirit? Because at this point, Pentecost has come. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit has already been poured out. He says, have you received the Holy Spirit? And what's their response? We didn't even, what is the Holy Spirit? We didn't even know there was such a thing. 
we're disciples of John. It's worth noting they didn't say we're disciples of Jesus. They said we're disciples of John. So it does say <clears throat> that Paul laid hands on them and they received the Spirit and they spoke in tongues. Was that a second baptism? No, they considered themselves disciples of, of John, right? So, and even, even if you want to say, well, technically that's a second baptism, okay, other than that one account right there, <clears throat> is there any other account in Scripture where people who, are, who have already been saved and baptized that later on they have this extra experience where they speak in tongues? No, that would be an isolated incident. Can you, should we, because you can do it, so that's not the question to ask. Should we build entire doctrines off of an isolated incident in Scripture? No, absolutely not. We need to take that isolated incident and fit it within the greater context of all of the Scriptures. Okay, So again, that one, does the Bible talk about baptism? Yes. Does the Bible even mention something about baptism with spirit and with fire? Yes. Does the Scripture support this idea of all believers having a second baptism and receiving the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues? No, no. <clears throat> Does the scripture talk about the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. Does the scripture talk about the Spirit moving or working, the ministry of the Holy Spirit? Absolutely, 100%. Does the scripture support the idea that we control the Spirit? Now, here's what I mean by that. Go back to where we started this episode. All right, guys, we got a special service coming up. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pretending. We got a special co service coming up at Mindy's Baptist Church two Sundays from now. And listen, we know this. You're not going to want to miss it because the Spirit of God is going to show up and show out. We know that the presence of God is going to be there in a strong way. We are expecting God to move in this service. You don't want to miss out. Be there two Sundays. Um, not this Sunday, but the next be there. The Spirit of God is going to move. We're expecting a great work of God. Uh, we want to see you there for our special service at Mindy's Baptist Church. Do I have that authority? Can I say we know the Spirit's going to show up? We know the Spirit's going to move. We know this. We know that. No. Another thing that you'll see <clears throat> with healing ministries people who claim to have the gift of healing or whatever else. Like they have these pre-planned, like we're going to be in Sacramento, California on June 12th, uh, 6 p.m. We're having a healing service. Come and get your healing. We, the Spirit's going to show up. It's going to be an awesome anointed time of worship and people are going to get their healing. June 12th, Sacramento, don't miss out. Come and get your healing. Do we control the Spirit like that? Or does the Spirit move... Um, as the Father leads him, and does the Spirit work according to the will of the Father and the will of the Son? Um, or do we get to say, all right, <clears throat> we're going to pray right now for the Spirit to fall, and we're going to declare healing for all of the people that are here, and, and we know that we're just going to ask the Spirit to move, and He's going to show up in a mighty way. Do we have that authority? Do we ever, do we ever see that exemplified for us from Scripture? No, no, we don't. So why do we accept that as normal? Because that speak, speaking like that, speeches like that are fairly common, especially when churches have big services coming up. And then again, to be even more simplistic and a little bit almost sarcastic, not, I'm not trying to be mean, but it's like 
it's kind of redundant for a pastor or a churchgoer to say, hey, we're having a church service where hopefully, hopefully, the word of God is going to be proclaimed. The gospel is going to be proclaimed. And let me tell you something. We expect the spirit of God to move. It's kind of like, sometimes I just want to say, duh. Yeah, I would hope so. If the saints are gathered and the word of God is being preached, what else do you expect to happen? The spirit leads us into all truth. The Spirit illuminates the Scriptures for us so that we can understand the truth. The Spirit sanctifies us. The Spirit edifies the saints, equips the saints through the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. So it, again, it's kind of like, duh. Like, what are you, what are you saying? <clears throat> so here's why that's dangerous. Typically, what people mean by that is like something supernatural is going to happen. Like it, it, there's going to be an outpouring of the Spirit. People are going to be, people are going to be falling out. People are going to be speaking in tongues. There's going to be a great and mighty move of God. Those, it's extra biblical. It's outside the realms of scripture. When the spirit moves, does it always look like people having this almost out of body experience? No, it doesn't. Not from scripture. It doesn't look like that. And so, yes, it's the deception of more because when we hear people talk, oh, this presence of God is going to be here. It's going to be great. We're expecting a great and mighty move of the spirit. A lot of times it just, it goes over into that realm of emotionalism and you end up being involved in stuff again, that's not biblical. Okay. So does, does the scripture talk about the spirit? Yes. Does the scripture talk about the ministry of the spirit? Yes. Does, <clears throat> does the spirit give the gifts of tongues to all believers? When the spirit moves, do people always fall on the floor, speak in tongues, uh, run run around the building, jump up and down. Is that a sure surefire proof that the Spirit of God is moving scripturally? No, it's not. It's simply not. You won't find it there. But we accept it as like, well, that's normal. That's what that's what churches do nowadays. That's normal. Well, right, okay, it can be normal, but it can it can also be normal without being biblical. And if it's normal without being biblical, we've got a problem. We've got a problem, right? <clears throat> um, also, okay, again, not to keep this on the charismatic side of things. People coming to the altar and crying and raising their hand and making decisions, is that always a surefire sign that the Spirit of God was moving? No, it's not. It is a surefire sign that the emotions of man were moving and people are crying and people are raising their hand and they're saying, I want to make a decision. I want to do better in my life or I want to get right with God. But is it a surefire sign that the spirit of God was moving? No, it wasn't. <clears throat> we know from scripture, again, spirit leads us into all truth. The spirit washes sinners in the regeneration of the spirit, causes the new birth. So leads us into all truth, causes us, uh, causes the new birth, sanctifies us, purifies us, seals us for the day of redemption. So some surefire signs that the spirit of God is actually moving is sinners will understand the gospel. Sinners will understand and believe the gospel. Sinners will repent of their sin and believe the gospel. Um, sinners will be born again. People who have no desire for the things of God will all of a sudden have a desire for the things of God because they've been born again. Christians will continue to grow in the faith. Christians, 
will be sanctified, will be edified. Christians will be strengthened, equipped for the work of the ministry. Those are surefire signs of the work of the Spirit. We literally have a passage in Scripture from Galatians that says the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, kindness, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, you know, those are the fruits of the Spirit. That's what the Spirit showing up and showing out. That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like. <clears throat> and then the very last one. Does Scripture tell us that God speaks to his people still today? Yes. Does Scripture explain to us how God speaks to his people? We've already covered this, but I want to end here again to wrap it up, tie a little bow on it, and we'll get ready for our next installment. Does God's word tell us how God has spoken to his people now? Yes. And it's his word. It's his word. And folks, if God's word is able to equip us for the work of the ministry, and if God's word <clears throat> is able to equip us for every good work, and if we have already been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, hear me, we don't need more. And if we think that we do need more, then we are not following Christ. If we think we need more than Christ, faith in Christ, and the word of God, if we think we need more than that, if we think we need an extra experience, if we think we need a new experience, then we're not truly following, at least in a content and satisfied way, we're not truly following Christ because we are not finding our satisfaction and our joy and our rest in him. We're seeking something else. And if we're seeking something else, it is idolatry. And that's the whole reason for this series, the deception of more. And that's why I'm calling it the deception of more because it is a deception. It's leading people away from Christ. It's leading people away from scripture and it's leading people towards <clears throat> extra biblical experiences, extra biblical knowledge, which is a knowledge that we don't need. <clears throat> it's leading people towards man-made religion and idolatry. It is truly a deception of more. First and foremost, if you're listening to this and you're not, you know, maybe you're unsure if you're <clears throat> truly a believer, <clears throat> truly a part of the family of God. Obviously, it starts with how Jesus started his earthly ministry. <clears throat> Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe. Be saved. If you're a Christian um, and you've been seeking other things repent turn away from that seek seek god seek the knowledge of christ seek christ through the word through prayer um and in sincerity go to the word believing what the scriptures say that the scriptures themselves are able to equip you and equip me for every good work it's able to instruct us. It's able to correct us. It's able to rebuke us. This is how God speaks to his people today through his word. Read, read scripture believing that. 
Read scripture having faith in that, that you don't need other stuff. You need the word. Desire the sincere milk of the word that you and I may grow thereby. Um, If you're hearing this and you disagree with what I'm saying and you say, I don't see it that way or I don't like what you're saying, that's fine. I'm as sincerely as I can. Please reach out to me. You can contact me on Facebook. You can email properministries at gmail.com. You can text or call me, 912-339-4211. I mean it. I would love to have coffee with you, get breakfast with you, get lunch with you, just hang out with you, study the word with you, pray with you. Even even if you think I'm wrong and, and you're upset with some of the stuff that I'm saying, if if you're a brother or sister in Christ, I'm for you. I, I want you to grow in the faith. I want me to grow in the faith. And I want us to, to seek God together. So reach out to me um, and we'll get together. We'll, we'll study the word together. We'll talk about our differences. Um, and, and you know, I promise you that it's not going to be me yelling at you, trying to get you to think like me. And I would hope that you wouldn't want to hang out with me just to yell at me and try to get. But what we are going to do is go to the word and see what God has actually spoken. Um, but reach out to me. Again, none of this is to cause division within the body or to hurt the body or to harm the body of Christ. All of this is at the end goal. All of this is actually to bring about unity and peace within the body. But yes, I will say this, the body of Christ is in disarray. And so before we actually get to true unity and true peace, yes, I think there's going to be some hard, difficult conversations that have to be had. I think there's going to be some false teachings and false teachers that are going to, that God is going to have to expose them, not me or not anybody else. God is going to have to make it obvious that they're leading people astray and they're teaching false doctrine. Um, And it's going to, God is the only one that can be, that can bring about true unity and true peace. But anything that I bring up and anything that I share, it really is in, in an effort to strengthen the body and to help the body of Christ. But yeah, sometimes things like that hurt. Sometimes they're difficult. They take time. Uh, But I can promise you uh, our aim and our goal is not to do damage or cause division. It's the opposite. It's to bring healing and to bring unity through the preaching and teaching of the sound doctrine of the Word of God. Christianity proper, proper doctrine, proper life. Thank you so much for watching this installment, The Deception of More Beyond the Scripture. We'll see you next time. Uh, It should only be, I promise, I promise. It should only be three or four days before the next installment. Uh, And we've got at least four more to go. So I'm excited. Uh, We'll see you guys again soon. Have a great night. And we'll catch you on the next installment of Christianity Proper. May God be glorified in all things.